I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Greetings, I'm Nate Langson and this text message was sent on the 9th of February 2015. Now, I'm currently overseas, I'm afraid, huddled in a New York hotel room betwixt pillow and quilt in what I suppose is essentially a posh grown-up's fort albeit one erected solely to contain my head to to do a podcast. It's quite delightful, actually, much as I hope the resulting sound quality is within your head. I've always been a stickler for audio quality, actually. In a way, I think portable audio is more intimate than anything one might amuse themselves with in a bedroom. I mean, I'm basically penetrating your head with my voice. But uh, my fleeting American residence has not prevented me from producing something for the extremely flattering numbers of you that have already subscribed to my show. The UK this week enjoyed some compelling news in that BT has offered to buy mobile network EE for close to £13 billion. Now, to put that in context, that's nearly £4 billion more than David Cameron spent in 2012 to host the world's biggest advertising festival in London, the Olympic Games. Three's parent company Hutchinson Wampoa also put in a bid for over £10 billion to buy O2 last week and it got me thinking about how the consolidation of these British telecom firms and media providers might affect our choice as consumers and businesses in the coming years. So this week, while I'm here in New York, I got in touch with someone who I thought would be able to help shed some light on how these acquisitions might play out for us in 2015 and beyond. Well, joining me now, Alison Sheridan from Nosillacast. How are you doing, Alison? I'm doing great, Nate. So uh, happy you had me on the show. This is uh, going to be fun. Yeah, this is only four episodes in, and I've already suggested reversing the format of the show from when I was on your show a few months ago, where we talked about, um, I think it was our view, or rather the UK view of American tech. Yeah. And uh, this time we're doing sort of an American view on UK and European tech. Yeah, that's, this uh, should be fun. We've picked up the table, wiped it clean, rotated it, and then got it messy again. Well, this is <laughs> this is good. Um, so a slight um, bit of background for why we wanted to talk about this. We have, in the UK, had a number of interesting mergers in the telecoms market. We've had O2 getting picked up by Hutchinson Wampoa, which is the parent company of the three network. We've also had EE being bought for £12.5 billion, or rather it's been agreed to be bought by BT for £12.5 billion. And this is all in the bid to become either a quad play service on BT's part or to just simply get a lot more customers and a much better and wider network. And the reason that I thought this would be interesting to talk to you about, Alison, is because you are an American. Am I right? (laughs) Yes. And I will be representing all of America. Yes. The United States, not Canada. I, th- I looked through everybody in my address book and I said, well, I could ask Obama, but he's busy ruling the world. And um, and I thought, you know what? I bet Alison's got a view on uh, on the telecoms market. But no, um, more seriously, though, um, the reason is because in the US there is a, lo- a wider coverage, or rather there's a, a lot more land to cover and fewer mobile networks and cable um, 
uh, let's say cable carriers. Providers. Cable, yes, thank you, providers. And it's caused some controversy in the past just because it's limited consumer choice. It's caused a lot of arguments um, in some regions where maybe only one cable provider is available uh, or only one network is able to give decent coverage. And so I thought I'd, I would wanted to get your view on how you think that's affected sort of the American telecoms and cable landscape, if you like, um, which sounds much more boring when I put it like that than it actually is. Um, and what you think potentially these mergers and these um, so this sort of consolidation of, of network um, companies could mean for the UK? Well, I heard a, um, a guy from uh, Korea who at All Things D one year who talked about how easy it was for them to get this incredible broadband they have there. And the point he made was that they had a very small country that was also very tall. So you can take a giant building and wire it up real easily. And he said, you know, look at you guys. I mean, you got Montana. I mean, Montana by itself, you know, there's eight people in the entire state and they're spread really far apart. How do you, how do you possibly tackle that? So the problems that we have, like you say, because of the great amount of size really makes this a tricky problem. So first of all, you've got um, I, want, I want to say I heard this week it was only 80% of the country could even get any kind of broadband. Um, and so, so right away you've got people who are completely disenfranchised on that to start with. So if you think about that and then look at the areas that have been, call it wired out, the investment that those companies have put into that, that those areas, I'm not surprised we're in the situation we are where we've got uh, these these monopolistic behaviors going on where people have put in the work for it and, and the money to lay in the network. And then everybody's saying, well, yeah, but now I want choice, how, how you do that. Um, I guess I would be, I would certainly be nervous about the consolidation you've had. Uh, but when, when these mergers you talked about are done, how many choices would a typical person, say, in London have? Well, in London, we um, we would actually still have quite a few. I mean, we would have, let's just say, as you say, all these mergers go through. We would have three major networks. So we would have O2 and 3 together. We would have... Um, EE under the rule of BT. Now, BT doesn't currently have its own mobile network. Um, so, so it's an MVNO? It's it's just not a network at all. Um, BT doesn't currently run any sort of wireless network. It runs the landlines um, oh, okay. in the country. So it would effectively take on O2 as its network. And EE is the biggest network in the country. So you would have EE and then you would have Vodafone which is which is the other one so you would have you would have those areas well covered outside of the uk outside of london you would you would pretty much have the same choices um the difference is is that the attraction for say bt with e with ee is being able to offer um a, a cable service which ee has as well as its 4g service as well as the landline service that bt has because it owns um and licenses out all the um the, the copper lines that go across the country everywhere. And uh, and it also has its own TV service. So it would be the first to offer quad play. Now, that's great if you do live in these in these cities, but there are so many places in the UK where you can't get cable and you can't get 4G. So they're going to miss out on those. But but you would still generally have a choice of three. But that that is interesting that I remember when you first said that EE was getting uh, the first 4G network in England uh, when you announced that on on uh, your other show. And uh, 
that that to me was fascinating that with our com- almost complete lack of competition in the United States, 4G has been here for a long time on a lot of networks. And so uh, it, you would think in a competitive arena that it would accelerate innovation and getting these higher technologies in. What do you think held that back? Well, that's a really good question. But the answer is um, is remarkably simple. It's simply because EE was the uh, a company that was set up to be a parent for o- for T-Mobile and Orange, both of which were previously separate networks, and they they merged, and they simply had a part of the um, wireless spectrum that could support 4G, whereas all the other networks had to wait to get their 4G spectrum when the analog TV signals were turned off. Oh, okay, okay. It was quite simply a case of the company already had the spectrum that they could use, and the others had to wait for Ofcom, the um, regulator, to allow them to switch on their 4G network. So they had about a year's head start, and that was that was kind of the only reason that they were able to do that so early. And it was it was seen by some as a really uncompetitive mood uh, move, and and was unfair. But at the end of the day, they weren't abusing their their monopoly by. Um, by doing that, they were just they just had a head start, and that was totally okay. fair. So the thing that makes me queasiest would give me the the worst feeling in the pit of my stomach of everything you said is when you said that BT is going to be providing um, actual content as well, and I yeah. think that's where we've gotten really nervous. And and the the recent announcement by Chairman Wheeler, the head of the FCC, that he's going to be changing the the rules for the providers is that. When when you've got someone who's providing content and they're providing you the pipe, now that that is a complete and utter conflict of interest. It's the definition of a conflict of interest. So your your inclination is going to be to say, "Hey, I'm going to deliver this to you real fast, but this other guy's data, it's going to come down slower." Or yeah. uh, you can pay me to make yours go faster. You know, it's yeah, that's that's the the death road right there. That's the scariest road, I think. Yeah. Now this is the this is the net neutrality debate, which was the other thing that um, that I wanted to touch on. So you've done a fantastic job of doing my segue. So I just segue that for you. Such a <laughs> such a professional, honestly, such a professional. But yes, you, you is, see it happen. <laughs> this is the net neutrality debate. Now at the moment, we in the UK are fairly net neutral in that currently Virgin, for example. So Virgin is the main supplier of cable in the uk and um and sky is its main competitor and and sky is actually providing um its service over digital satellite so they're 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 not they're they're sort of apples and oranges but they are are massive rivals as an apple and an orange is in a supermarket i suppose Um, (laughs) no one tends to eat the same one at the same time and virgin though and this is where it gets interesting and slightly complicated virgin already has a mobile network because it has virgin mobile which is an mvno um Mm -hmm. I forget who it piggybacks. I think it might be EE. But um, yes, I think it is EE. And so they're offering their 4G service um, as well. Now, currently, they're not they're not penalizing anybody on their cable service to who. um, How how should I put it? They um, they're not prioritizing their, their own content over cable. So dare they? I mean, is there is there an FCC type organization in the UK that that would be watching that and ready to slap them? Yeah, Ofcom, okay. and Ofcom is. Uh, I mean, and not just Ofcom. I mean, 
it's basically a parliament itself. Ofcom is sort of there to to mediate, but there's a council of ministers um, for Europe that that will govern uh, the EU at large in terms of how um, uh, net neutrality is enforced or indeed okay. not enforced. Um, but it, I mean, this came up a lot last year actually, where effectively net neutrality was was being adopted as as law in in Europe, which means that right, uh, right that um, Virgin Media would never be able to prioritize its own services over Virgin Mobile or its cable service. And similarly, and to go back to your point, um, BT would not be able to prioritize its own television service over a rival like Netflix, which it tends to be the, the common example. Sure. But, no. we, but, but I did want to ask you, though, because we've seen, we, I mean, in the US, you've seen this from the other angle. You have seen these sorts of things abused um, because th- there has been some debate in the past. And I, th- and I think that Netflix does pay one of the cable providers for a faster lane to consumers' homes. Is that right? Well, it's not exactly right. And this is where it gets into a real weird area. There's these things called peering agreements that have to do with... Uh, how much data is flowing from one network into another network? So let's say let's say I own a network and you own a network, and uh, I'm going to give you you know 20 t- petabytes a second of data, but you're only sending 10 petabytes of data towards me. Then we need to make an agreement that I'm going to pay you extra. If it was even, we wouldn't pay each other anything. And that's how it kind of got started, I think. And then now you start getting into, they call them, uh, it's called edge something, uh, where these things bang up against each other. And that's where Netflix has to work with uh, uh, Comcast and they have to work with Time Warner and they have to work with Verizon Fios to make sure that they've got um, adequate servers locally to absorb the amount of data that comes in. It's it's really complicated. It's a, a lot more complicated than just you're paying to go faster or slower. They are definitely not doing that. Um, if they had done that, that's, that's one of the problems with the net neutrality debate is technically, I don't believe anybody has actually completely violated any of these rules that we want to see in place. And that's sort of where the, the, um, the big companies or, or the ISPs are saying, well, you know, we haven't misbehaved. You don't need to put all these rules on us. So it, it's, it's sort of a weird technicality. The peering arrangement is not the same thing as, as paying for a fast lane. It's something slightly different and, and really complicated. And hopefully not something that's going to be um, an issue for people in the UK um, when these networks start merging and, and, we, and these sorts of debates rise. I mean, to put it into context for anybody who, who's sort of unfamiliar with how much a demand is being placed on some of these networks, if you take a service like Netflix or the BBC iPlayer, at any peak time, so generally primetime television time in the, in the evening, these two services alone might be using a third of all internet traffic across UK networks. So that means that even when you look at BitTorrent and everything else that's going over the networks, they're still not accounting for any more than two thirds of the total usage. Netflix and BBC iPlayer are using about a third. Now that is an astonishing amount of traffic. If you think that if you took the iPlayer and Netflix offline in an evening, the networks like TalkTalk and Virgin Media and all of these things, they would have a third more, potentially up to a third greater capacity available to other consumers. So in a way, if I put a businessman's hat on, 
and hey, I'm not sexist. A business person's hat. <laughs> there you go. You could hear me thinking that, couldn't you? <laughs> um, I could just hear many people thinking it. It was <laughs> it was a chorus in the back of me, in the back of my head. Um, but exactly. But I, I just thinking, well, if I put that hat on, I can sort of think, well, you know, why why should they be upgrading that network so much faster just to accommodate these two services that don't pay them anything? You know. I can understand that argument as flawed as I think it is because they're creating a demand for their customers to give the ISPs more money because they want better service to use these these services. Um, I can at least see where the the argument from the ISP standpoint would come from. But and and you say that there haven't been any part of me any flat out abuses of um, net neutrality in the US and certainly um, I would I'd like to think that that is definitely the case, but it does mean that it's something to watch out for, possibly. Um, yeah, we don't the trust UK. them at all. No, no. <laughs> by the way, I just checked the uh, the stats on that. Netflix by itself accounts for thirty five percent of internet traffic in the UK. Wow. Without adding anything else to it, um, I think the other two thirds is spam, right? Yeah, it could well be or pornography. Ah, um, right, right. But I think that, uh, I mean, I, I think maybe the figures I looked at were, were a little old. I mean, certainly when I looked at it, it was at least a third. But by right. the sounds of it, if you factor in the iPlayer as well, which unlike Netflix, allows you to um, queue up and download HD content as much as you want. You know, you could, I mean, I did this only two days ago before flying out to New York, which is where I am mm-hmm. at the moment. I queued up um, the most recent three or four episodes of um, of Top Gear you know, they're almost a gigabyte each, um, you know, and about four or five other programs as well. It was probably about four gigabytes of, of TV that I just I just tapped. I just went tap, 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 and they all start downloading onto my iPad. So that's I'm un- so jealous of iPlayer. It, it is fantastic. It, and, and now you can do that for the last month's worth of TV, not just the last seven wow. days. So, wow. you know, if you've got if you if there's a program that's on every single day, like a soap. So EastEnders is a really popular um, sort of soap opera drama type um, thing that's on in, in England every pretty much every day or certainly several times a week you know that's all on there in HD if you miss an entire month you just go through and just tap 30 times and you've got HD versions of of that downloading to your iPad to whatever device you want PS4 PS3 Xbox Mac anything they're all on there and they're all in HD depending so on there's the po- no digital rights management nonsense going on there there is, but it's not something you run into. It's extremely liberal. So, you know, the only thing you can't do is copy those files somewhere and keep them forever. They will expire eventually. But huge hmm. amounts of content on iPlayer, and this is true of radio as well, they're actually on there indefinitely, depending on, on what it is. And anytime they're repeated on TV, then they appear on iPlayer again. So you get loads but, but of But that back- makes no sense, Nate. Then you're not going to have piracy. I know. Isn't it bizarre? <laughs> Isn't it bizarre? But, I mean, the BBC is something of an enigma globally, I think, because it's because it's publicly funded and they have to offer the service back to the, the, the license payer. It's 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 illegal not to pay for for the BBC services if you have a TV. So they have that benefit. They don't have to rely on. There's no advertising. Um, there's no product placement. There's no anything. It's just you're paying through the law programs to be created and so in return they're making it as accessible as they possibly can to as many people as have funded them so it's great but that so does jealous 
and I think people are right to be jealous because it's one of the only things I think the UK does when it comes to something like video on demand, where we can genuinely say that it's ahead of, of everywhere else because there's nothing else really like this anywhere in the world that is legal and is, is completely free of any form of advertising um, in, any, in any of its forms. So, so I, th- I think that since you get all of the cool NASA stuff that we do for free, that we should get the, this stuff for free from you guys. I, I absolutely agree. Trade you. I absolutely agree. But well, to be honest, there's a separate note. I mean, there is a huge reason to let the iPlayer exist with a monthly subscription to other parts of the world, or at least parts of the world where a business model like that could be sustained. I mean, do you think that if the iPlayer opened itself up to the US and said, well, instead of instead of it being free, it's, you know, $10 a month or, or whatever the equivalent would be in, in the US for, for something like that, do you think people mm-hmm. would pay for it? I, I definitely would think so. I mean, uh, now I'm sitting and waiting for things like Bletchley Circle and, and uh, uh, you know, Sherlock and all those things to come to us. I think Sherlock was from the BBC, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, so many things that we watch. Uh, what's the new one? I just started watching The Fall. I think that's you guys, too. I yeah. mean, but I have to sit here and wait for it to come over here. Uh, so just those are three things right off the top of my head that I would pay for. Yeah. It's a real shame that it's not there because they're missing out on a lot of money. The reason is because the BBC, it's the, the, the BBC that makes the programs um, can't charge for them. But the BBC Worldwide, which is a for-profit um, part of the BBC, can. And so that's the arm that puts them on iTunes and sells them on Blu-ray and, and puts them on Netflix eventually and things like that. Um, it's, it's, it, it is a, it's, a two, it's two different arms. You know, one only serves the, tech, the license fee payer and one serves the rest of the world. Well, here's a perfect example about how twisted up it, all this stuff is. When the Olympics were on, I wanted to see the women's gymnastics. In order to see it, I had to use a VPN to go into BBC in order to see the U.S. women's gymnastics team because yeah. it didn't come on here. <laughs> you see, this this is the problem with 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 the with the um, sort of the regionalization or the region locking of, of content. I mean, it's these are decades old business models that are being supported, and they have to move very very slowly. Um, and it's always a shame that um, the you know piracy can move so quickly. To, to support new technologies and viewing habits, but it's just not possible for these businesses to do what people want as quickly as they want it because it really does take time. And, and I think that, you know, it's a shame that something that is so obviously going to be immediately successful as a, an iPlayer with a $10 a month subscription charge for the US, like the amount of money that could bring back into the BBC to fund more content. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's almost... It feels almost like a crime to the UK that that isn't a possibility and that we're making content that is of interest to so many people around the world and yet we're not allowing them any way to give us any money for it. Like, that's a huge shame when you read stories about cuts being made at the BBC. You just think, just let someone else pay for it for crying out loud. Here's the spigot right here. Turn it, turn it. You know, it, 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 there's a more positive way to look at this, though, is is maybe that technology is is moving so fast that it's pulling these older concepts 
forward slowly, but pulling it that, you know, if it weren't for the internet, I wouldn't be sitting in my, in my home in California talking to a guy from England. I mean, I know you technically are in New York, but let's pretend that's not true. <laughs> I, I mean, I consider you a friend of mine now and we've never met in real life. And, and these kinds of things are, are happening so quickly that it'd be impossible for things, these things to move as quickly as we want them to, but we're pulling them forward because now we have friends all over the world who are telling us about cool shows that are going on in other parts of the world. And now we want them. And so now that pull is happening. It's very true. And I think the great thing about podcasting is that it's a me- it's a kind of medium that is allowing that that barrier, that that Berlin Wall to be pulled down because, you know, I mean, I, I sort of think about it a little bit how at the moment with 4K, some of the best the best way to get 4K content is to make it yourself because you can shoot it on many high-end phones now. And yet there's still no really good way of getting 4K into the home. And maybe the the answer to the uh, the iPlayer debate, for example, is go and make your own. It's a podcast. It doesn't <laughs> care about region locking. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm. Well, Alison, it has been a complete pleasure um to talk to you particularly since i'm in the same country as you at the moment um nocillacast is where people can hear more of your thoughts do you want to give people a, a reminder of how you tune into you and what sort of stuff you cover on nocilla Yes, uh, the Nocillacast is a, uh, my tagline is a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Macintosh bias. Um, In other words, kind of a huge Macintosh bias, but we talk about security stuff. We talk about uh, gadgets and and, uh, a lot of Mac and iOS applications. Uh, The show has come out every Sunday night um, for coming up on 10 years now so i'm past 500 shows and uh, so i think i'm into it for the long haul you can find it over at podfeet.com and you can follow me on twitter at podfeet and you and you should do because that is how people like Alison and i meet although it may have also been through tom Merritt, who is a, a mutual friend of ours i think who introduced us originally yes um, we'll have to throw him a bone we should throw tom a bone on dtns um great Alison, thank you so much for joining us thanks a lot Until next week, I'm Nate Langson. Check natelangson.com forward slash podcast for information about the show, show notes and links, and of course, subscription links for iTunes, podcast catchers, and RSS feeds. See you next week.